What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Asian MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything going on in the world of Asian MMA. This episode is brought to you by Unexpected Lengthy Layoffs. Ugh. Anyway, I'm Dana Bluen, and today we're talking about a lot of stuff. There's a ton of things to go over to unpack, so let's just get right into it. Now, the first thing in big news that isn't really MMA-related but is MMA-related is that Muay Thai, the art of eight limbs, has been granted provisional recognition as an Olympic sport. Now, for me, this is both potentially good and bad. In Asian MMA, uh, Muay Thai is a very common base discipline for a lot of fighters. They They love to bang, especially here in Thailand. There's a lot of fighters that... MMA is their foundation. You know, they get up there and they might be wearing four-ounce gloves, but you could think you're watching a a Muay Thai fight, not an MMA fight. It's just that prevalent. Now, that being said, anyone who has ever seen a single Muay Thai fight knows that it is beautifully violent in a way that the Olympics isn't. And that's one of the things that kind of has me on the fence here. It brings up you know, a lot of fear that the OIC might look to turn Muay Thai into something similar to Taekwondo, where the fighters come out heavily padded, who knows, maybe they'll even put elbow pads on them or something, and it becomes more of a points game instead of just brutally vicious leg kicks and gorgeous flesh-slicing elbows that we're used to seeing in Muay Thai. I personally like my Muay Thai primal and devastating, not Olympic TV friendly. But, you know, it's a provisional acceptance. Again, it's good for Muay Thai. It gives fighters an opportunity to progress up a different avenue to hone their skills in a system that gives them hopefully support and opportunity. You know, we've seen a lot of Olympic wrestlers do very well in MMA I would love to be able to say the same thing about Olympic Muay Thai fighters, but I just don't know that the sport is Olympic-friendly, TV-friendly. Muay Thai is a fantastic sport. It's beautiful. It's violent. It's everything that a combat sport should be. Is it ready for the Olympics, or is it right for the Olympics? Is the Olympics ready for something as amazing as Muay Thai? My initial gut feeling says no, but we're going to have to wait and see. Luckily, like I said, it's just provisional, so... Let's give it some time and see how it unfolds. Moving on. Now, since the last show I did, which was a little while ago, I've been kind of sick on and off, so I haven't had as much opportunity to update. But there's been a lot of news with one championship, as as there has been the whole Q4, apparently. They're just breaking the news cycle. They had two significant signings that I want to talk about, or I should say at least they're high profile. I don't know how significant they're both going to be. Uh, one of them being Sexy Yama and the other being Sage Northcutt. Now, Akiyama makes a lot of sense for one. He's half Japanese, half Korean. Those are two markets that I am sure one championship would love to be the dominant player in. You know, two big markets with uh, high buy rates for ads. You know, all the metrics that one is moving towards do really well monetarily in those two countries. He's a good fit there for that very reason. He's also a veteran of the sport. He's got a fairly good record at 14-6, and six, but he has not fought since November 2015. 
So by the time he steps in the one cage, or I mean, could be the one ring by that point. I don't know. Could be the one bouncy gym. They keep changing their their kind of format and go with a lot of things. Who knows what they're going to be doing in 2019? But it could be as much as a four year layoff for him by the time we see him. So I, I don't know how he's going to look. I don't know what he's been doing in that four years since then. All that being said, he's still a very marketable guy, especially in those two markets where I think that they want to start to play. We know they're going to Japan next year. Korea could be right around the corner for them as another play. Two big, like I said, media market houses, you know, two places where they're going to be able to sell ad rates at a much higher rate. They're going to get more valuable views on their fights through their app or whatever avenue or venue they go through. So I think it's going to be good for Sexy Yama, not just from a fight perspective, but I think one's going to put a lot of pump behind him, and we're going to see him be a PR guy in Japan and Korea, and that's going to just build his brand as well as build the one brand. And give. we've seen them employ fighters in other roles before, so like potentially could be something he's looking at if he's looking at the end of his career here. That brings me to Sage Northcutt. Him, on the other hand, I'm not so sure about. He's got a great record up until this point. He's 11-2, and two, eight fights in the UFC. You know, he, he's done fairly well, and he's been a marketable guy in the UFC. I'm surprised they kind of let him go. He, he has a look that maybe I think American audiences aren't as hot about, and that kind of, you know, sort of Ken doll look. I think maybe a lot of Americans don't correspond to a fighter. You know, not, not so much... It, it, for me, anyway, at least, in, in the UFC model, it doesn't work. Now, with that being said, I, I also don't see him fitting into this whole Asian superheroes thing that we see Chachi Sityantang talk about every time he's talking about the the meaning of one and the, the mission of one, what they're looking to do. He always talks about we're trying to show the world Asian superheroes. Sage Northcutt is as white bread as they come. I mean, he's a blonde hair, blue eye, pretty boy. He looks like a Ken doll. He's a good fighter, yes, but is he an Asian superhero? No. Now, you talk to me about, you know, DJ or Eddie Alvarez. Neither are they, but I can also see where they get a market in Southeast Asia and in Asia in general. DJ with the esports, it makes a lot of sense. Eddie Alvarez has roots in Asia from his early fighting career. So those two things make sense. Sage, we kind of have to wait and see. The upside, he does have a fairly recognizable name and face in the U.S. Whether he, he pulled views for the UFC or not, I don't know. But, you know, he, he was a marketable guy in that regards. And his look will definitely stand out in Asia. You put him on a poster, it's going to get people's attention. But if they want to use him in the U.S., they're now in a much better position because one championship has gone and inked a three-year deal with TNT Broadcasting in the States that will see one championship break into the U.S. airwaves. Now, the details on the deal are apparently that it will include 24 live events that will stream on Turner's sports digital platform PR Live, and TNT will air taped events as well as like possibly a reality show or some other content. And the reason for the taped events is obviously that we're on the other side of the world from the U.S., if we were showing them live, it just it wouldn't be a good match for the demographic. So they'll tape them. They'll show them later on. We'll see how that plays out. I, I don't know how one's going to do with an American audience. The UFC is putting out more and more content. That is really the standard in the U.S. The one shows can be great. They do have some fantastic fights. 
I don't know how American TV ready it's going to be, but we also don't know what type of changes they're going to make to the product going into the U.S. market. So I'll, I'll definitely be watching that. It'll be something interesting to see what type of adjustments they make. Now, over the weekend, Road FC 51 took place, and we saw Ham Seho, uh, Ham Seo He, sorry, retain her woman's atom weight strap against a very game Park Jung Un via unanimous decisions. Great fight, three rounds. You know, Road does the three round championship fights. Really good, really good fight. I, I enjoyed it. I like what Road has done, especially the past year. But, and this is their last event for 2018, but with 2019 right around the corner and so many things that play in the Asian MMA universe, I think Road needs to really step up their game either with content or marketing or however they're going to do it if they want to really compete on the stage that one is setting and then we're seeing other things come up, sort of percolate up through the bottom of the uh, the pyramid in Asian MMA. I know that the promoter for Full Metal Dojo has got this grand idea for Kumite 3000 uh, Asian um, prize fighting league that he's working with Fox Sports Asia on. That could potentially be huge. There's some other things in the work, and we have a lot of smaller shows kind of coming up and filling the the vacuums that have been left. And I'm sort of afraid Road's going to end up being this sort of promotion that disappears just because they're not adapting to the space around them and changing to gain a little bit more market share. I'll be interested to see what 2019 holds overall. Uh, I'm probably going to try to do a podcast closer to the new year before January and talk about, you know, what exactly can we expect to see from, you know, Asian MMA in 2019 and what I hope to see from Asian MMA in 2019. With all that said, guys, that's all I have for you today. So to stay up to date with all things Asian MMA, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play. We're on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook. All of the links will be in the show notes. Check it out.